0: and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we pulled it off on Saturday night. The co-main event podcast UFC 251 Fight Party went down as scheduled over on the Patreon. And from what I understand, a good time was had by all.
1: From what you understand? You mean after you collected yourself, after you, you got obliterated on as many as two white claws? Then you had to go back.
0: I did drink up to two White Claws. Drank up to two White Claws. But also stayed hydrated.
1: (laughs) Nearly fell asleep. They put three title fights on the card and almost all of them go the full five. You know, it's going to be a rough night for your boy Chad Dundas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, it got late. It was damn near midnight. You know, I was. Damn near midnight, folks. I was
1: thinking about it afterwards. The thing that surprised me the most was the the real benefit of the whole watch party was the, the erudite discussion from the learned and respected members of the CME listening audience. We got tips from a sommelier on there. We talked to uh, an addictions counselor. We heard from retired fighter, Daniel Downs. I mean, you got just all kinds of information just coming at you from all directions in that thing.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't know that the, uh, that the unmuting of some guests was going to be as big as a hit as it turned out to be. In fact, I would say I was a little bit uh, worried about it yeah. before we actually okay. did it, but it worked out great. It was it was a huge success. We're probably going to do it again, maybe even for UFC two fifty two if we can figure out whenever that is.
1: Yeah, who knows? Who who could? There's no way to know when that could possibly be. But I would say, as far I'd as agree, I know, there's no way. The the unmuting of guests was the highlight for me mainly because yeah. we'd love to hear other people who aren't us talk. And they ended up having a lot of interesting things to say.
0: Well, suffice to say, there are a lot of fun things going on over at the Patreon right now, including but not limited to, I guess, the return of pay-per-view fight parties. But also, over on the Movie Club, bin, we just kicked off watching the first season of Kingdom, the MMA uh, series, dramatic series that used to be on the Audience Network and on DirecTV so we're going to be doing that for the next five weeks. We've done the first two episodes of the, of the of the series. We both agree they were a little bit better than we expected them to be. So I don't know, man. Things are looking up. Things are looking up over on the Patreon page.
1: Yeah. Doing the next two episodes this week, Wednesday. Is that correct?
0: Yes. We'll be doing episodes three and four of, of Kingdom. That drops on Wednesday.
1: All right. I'm going to get my Affliction shirt back out. Get some HGH in the old system and uh, I'll be good to go.
0: If, you, if you've done it already, thanks so much. And if you have not, be sure to run out and grab your copy of The Blaze. It's my latest novel. It's a mystery and thriller. I've been hearing a lot of the little co-maniacs out there are loving it. I think it's pretty good. Run out and grab it today in whatever format you like to do your reading. I would appreciate it. Remember, if you do read it and you like it, please also leave me a five-star review over on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you like. Those reviews do help the book. They help me out. So do me a favor. Buy, read, rate, and review The Blaze wherever fine books are sold. We got music again this week from our guy, C-M-E-O. That's co-main event podcast listener, Alfred Larson. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash That's S-E-E-M-I-O. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, the fun-loving legend of Jorge Masvidal met the cold, hard reality of Kamaru Usman on Saturday. The results almost made me question everything I thought I believed about UFC matchmaking. And in round number two, Alexander Volkanovsky got that coveted and still announcement from Bruce Buffer. But it only made big hair Max Holloway more powerful than we could possibly imagine. And in round number three, sure, we all had fun on Saturday night. Couple good fights, some so-so ones. I mean, it was a bummer Jose Aldo had to die. But sometimes these things happen in MMA, all that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from JG, who writes, Is it too soon to book Yuri Prohazka versus Johnny Walker for the WMF belt? And then in parentheses, it says, weirdest motherfucker belt.
1: And I feel like the UFC might have a lot of different contenders for various weirdest motherfucker belts. We might have to get like weirdest motherfucker above 200 pounds, below 200, something like that. Because we we'll have get some weird motherfuckers out here in the world of MMA.
0: Yeah, get into some old school weight classes where mm-hmm. there's only two, like weight yeah. and heavyweight.
1: Yeah. But you know what? Uh, a lot of people draw on that Johnny Walker comparison. And for a lot of reasons, not all of them good with your you, you know the rising champion Yuri Prochazka here because i i think a lot of it is not only you come in as a light heavyweight kind of a fresh face to the division and immediately we start to realize hey this guy is weird and fun and we might have a good time watching this guy's rise but also we all kind of realize we're going to do the thing we're going to do the thing we're right away we want a fantasy match make this guy against John Jones just because there's nobody else really to talk about for the most part aside from you know Dominic Reyes or something And we're going to get way ahead of ourselves. And we know we're going to do it, but we're going to do it anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, Yuri Prosazka, tall guy, looks good getting off the bus, acts like an absolute wild man in there. I'm ready, man. I'm ready for the hype train. Let's get it rolling. This fight against Volkan Uzdemir, the secret of the ooze in the featured prelim on Saturday night at UFC 251. I mean, this thing kind of got buried by the time you get done with the marathon main card. You get through those those three title fights. You get through Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade, uh, and you kind of forget about this one. But I just watched it this morning. This is an absolute slobber knocker of a light heavyweight fight on uh, an insane pace for a couple of 205-pound guys going out there swinging them bungalows at each other for uh, you know a round plus almost one minute before – uh Prohazka. Am I saying this guy's name right? Prohaska? Is that what we're saying now?
1: We'll we'll probably go through four or five different pronunciations before we're done. My, so
0: my assumption is I'm nailing it every single yeah. time. Uh he gets the very violent second round KO over KO over Volkan Uzdemir, who frankly is a guy in the light heavyweight division who is uh not an easy out. Like Volcan Uzdemir, uh he's not a guy that we expect is gonna jump up and like win the win the title, but he's also uh, nothing to sneeze at, like you. This is a serious contender, and so for for Prohaska to go out there and, and just knock him out in the second round is a heck of a way to establish his presence, announce his presence in the light heavyweight division into a division, frankly, that right now needs all the spice it can get. We don't yet know what's going on with John Jones uh, at all. We don't know what the future of that title is, but like to have to have a new guy, Capital G guy, in that division who's doing as many things as Yuri Prohaska is. I'm happy for it, man. Yeah, it makes me feel a little bit less like we need to just shut the thing down. There you go. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's nice to have like a
1: twenty-seven-year-old guy show up in there and give us some something to be excited about for the future. But also, it seems like in the aftermath, he was kind of trying to downplay the possibility of rushing in to fight John Jones. Like he he seemed aware that he might need some time to improve on some things. But you know, he's doing some weird, some WMF type stuff out there in the first round, especially against your boy No Time. But it seemed like it was with a purpose. It seemed like he wasn't just out there just screwing around. Like he was trying to draw him out. Try, like th- That all seemed like a-, a very premeditated kind of tactical thing he was going to do. And then he landed that head kick. Vulcan Ozdemir, the leg got a little stinky. And you could see the realization where he's like, okay, here we go. Time to put this guy away. And that was a bad – that was like eyes open, laying on the floor. Bad knockout there too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. E- early on, whenever Prohaska was trying to do his uh... – his showboating, he was getting tagged a little bit by Volkan Ozdemir, although it didn't seem, to, uh, didn't seem to perturb him too much on many occasions. He did get wobbled a couple of times, but, uh, but he, was, he, he was opening himself up to some shots, but then he's able, obviously, to come back and get the, the big knockout in the second round, so it all, it all worked out for him. I'm just wondering, like, if you've got that style, the WMF style, how far can you reasonably expect it to take you? even in this division that is that is so shallow and if you're john jones and you're sitting at home obviously you're not sure what your contract status with the ufc is going to be you're not you're not sure if they're going to come across with the kind of money you want but are you kind of licking your chops about a guy who fights like that has this kind of weird style does that give john jones problems or do you think it just opens up more opportunities for john jones to uh do john jones stuff i'm not prepared to
1: say that i saw anything that gives john jones problems not yet anyway but you know Let's maybe uh, use the opportunity if John Jones is going to take some personal time and see if he can work out a better financial deal for himself with the UFC. Maybe let's use that opportunity to not rush anything here. Slow play it a little bit. Let's just see see how things develop on their own.
0: You can only slow play guys in this division so long. But I agree True. with you. True. Uh, next next question this week comes to us from Ben Gabriel, who writes: Has Chad accurately pointed out when he quote tweeted some handsome son of a bitch's tweet? I believe that was. Ben Gabriel. Yep. That'd be uh, Ben Gabriel. Jorge, Jorge Masvidal is one of the two main faces of the new UFC four video game. So how you not paying that man is money. Paraphrase from original. Also, uh, it's a good damn trailer for a fighting video game. So I've watched it a couple times. While Usman has some weird Cobra Temple home base, Masvidal seems to have his actual life story as a feature of the game, including the late Kimbo Slice. Are you fucking kidding me, Ben? What'd you think of this? what do you think of the rollout of the new UFC Four video game? I think
1: we mean Israel Adesanya, not Usman. Has some weird Cobra Temple home base thing going on, but that is that is interesting because you see the thing of like Jorge Masvidal as being the you know street fighter backyard fighter kind of guy i this is a nice touch that they have like the chain link set up to look like an octagon (laughs) like that's that's kind of a cool thing but like since that is true to his real life then when you flash over to israel adesanya like training at some snake cult temple or something uh as, as his beginning you're like wait a minute so we're not supposed to take all this literally. Like some of it is fictional, and some of it is actually real. Like it does get a little bit confusing, but it was it is a good trailer, and it was it made you a little bit excited about the game. I mean, so we talked a little bit about how it's it's hard to make a good MMA video game, but uh, you know, you see some of the stuff, some of the the other touches that they might be putting in there, and you think, okay, at least it looks cool so far. But it's true. Like if you if you have this guy as the the cover dude on your video game, it is hard to then turn around and be like, no, he doesn't deserve more money. Like, how, how do those things go together?
0: Speaking of reality versus fiction, you also get uh, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua there right at the end of the uh, trailer as, I believe, playable characters in this thing?
1: I, if you pre-order, I think you get them as playable characters. Uh, somebody, I don't know if it was uh, John Nash or somebody on, on Twitter uh, mentioning like, I wonder what those guys got as their, their you know, like a likeness rights fee in order to be in the game because you know they were just yeah yeah, you know you didn't just go to those guys and be like hey what's up how about we put you in this video game and they're like i would love to be in a video game that's amazing like could i have a free copy could i have two free copies like you know you paid those guys something meanwhile like for a lot of other people like that was a big sticking point really early on in the ufc's negotiations with fighters you know john fitch you remember him uh the moment he blanched at the idea of signing away his likeness rights forever. The UFC cut him and then kind of got, tried to go scorched earth on the whole gym there until they relented on it. So that is interesting. It would be interesting to know what the difference is there between how the boxers are being treated versus how the actual MMA fighters of the UFC are being treated.
0: Next question this week comes to us from gorgeous George Wallace. So you oh. think that's the uh, the former governor of, of Alabama?
1: I assume it's his alter ego.
0: Yeah. Like if when he wrestles on the weekends. Right. Naturally. He becomes. Gorgeous George Wallace. He writes, is Amanda Rebos the female version of Junior Dos Santos? She stops fools, loves life, and cuts adorable interviews. So, of course, Ben, we saw Amanda Rebos go out there in the curtain jerker of UFC 251, the pay-per-view broadcast in her women's flyweight fight, and did what the odds makers thought she would do to Paige Van Zant and wins by first round armbar, sends Paige Van Zandt, in theory out to test free agency on the heels of this loss. Uh for you, is this more about establishing Amanda Rebos, who now has a couple of wins over uh, capital G girls in that division? She's got Mackenzie Dern. She's got Paige Van Zandt. She's, a, she's the hype squasher out there at that weight class. But is this is this matchup to you more about kind of trying to establish Amanda Rebos as a thing? Or is this more just about sending Paige Van Zandt out the door on the heels of an ugly L like you know the UFC likes to do? I mean, it could be both.
1: It can be two things. Especially for the UFC, you might think you're really serving your own purposes if you make sure that it is two things. That you make sure you send Paige Van Zandt out on a pretty one-sided loss where she was never really super competitive in the fight. And then also, you use whatever hype you think that Paige Van Zandt can still confer upon somebody. And you give it to Amanda Rebus, who's actually sticking around and who is much less much earlier on in her career with the UFC and is probably making a lot less money than whatever Paige Van Zandt's going to want to re-sign. So I, I think the UFC probably sees it as a twofer. And that says, as, as far as the uh, gorgeous George Wallace's comparison to uh, like a, a female version of Junior Dos Santos, do we know if Amanda Rebos has ever sold ice creams?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. What is her response to the television ratings of, of her fight? And is it, <gasps> I'm famous! If she
1: is, if she ever finds herself booed by a crowd after a really strong effort, might she ask why they do that?
0: It's possible. I guess
1: what we're saying is we need to see more. We do, but I'm, I'm interested to see more. You know me. You go out there submitting people, armbar and fools, getting me to jump up off the couch and, and shout jujitsu. What? Like I, I'm already into it. You don't have to work that hard to get me behind a, a, a tactic like that. So let's see some more. Let's see where it
0: goes. Next question is: we comes to us from Kip Pennington, who writes three title fights on one card. Sounds good on paper, right? Only if you don't mind going to bed at the ass crack of dawn, uh, UFC 245 contained three title fights, uh, which lasted 14 rounds, four minutes, 10 seconds. I believe he means UFC 251 here. Uh, oh, wait, no, he is talking about Usman's TKO over right. Colby Covington, 1.55 a.m. Eastern time. UFC 251 had 14 rounds, 3 minutes, and 24 seconds of title fights. Usman's decision over Masvidal, 1.58 a.m. Eastern time. Regardless of one's true time zone, this is a bit painful, no? Discourse, if you would, fine lads. Now, this is, we talked about this. In the lead up to UFC 251 with the three five-round fights, finishing off the uh, the main card there, we asked the question if this was going to be a late night, and if by the time it was all said and done with these three fights, if we had set ourselves up in some ways for disappointment. Uh, and it did get late. It did seem to drag on, and I know we will talk about the main event coming up more in round number one, but that was... You know, that fight also went a little bit like we thought it would and maybe is a little bit of a, of a disappointment for people who wanted to see Jorge Masvidal go out in there and do more of his stuff. But, man, you stack these fights three title fights deep and uh, it does feel like you were asking for just a marathon out of a, a pay-per-view main card.
1: Yeah, and but then if I were the UFC I w- and I heard people complain about how late the fight card went, I would probably be going, hey, what do you assholes want? Do you want stacked cards with a bunch of title fights? Because you complain if we just put one title fight on there and it's the only fight anybody cares about, and the rest of them are just kind of prelim filler. And then we hear a bunch of bullshit from it where everybody's mad about that. And then we give you three title fights for the same cost on one pay per view. And then you complain that it takes too long. Like, I, you know, I conceivable. see, most, like, I'm not really going to complain about a really strong lineup like that because value for your money wise. This is one of the better pay-per-views that we've seen in a long time. And a lot of that had to do with the backlog of international fighters and, and title fights that we couldn't see because of the struggle to get restarted during the pandemic and everything. And granted, it's easier to sit here in the one true time zone where, okay, it goes till midnight. And you're like, okay, that's, I'm, I'm 40. Midnight is not the same hour that it used to be when I was 25. It's, it's somehow midnight takes place at 4 a.m. At my age so i i you know it's not great it is tougher for those those poor east coast bastards and i'm sure like people in ireland and england are going to complain they hear us expressing sympathy for anyone on this side of right. the atlantic but i can understand how i remember i used to when i lived in new york city i remember watching those pay-per-views and it's like man the main card starts at 10 p.m like starts jesus christ yeah. you know
0: I get yeah, a lot it. of people were making making fun of me over on the live stream that I was starting to get tired by the time the uh, the main event rolled around. I just wanted to know where those people were when my five-year-old woke, woke me up at 5.30 in the morning the next day. So, you know.
1: I assume they were poison. at the club.
0: Yes, they were probably still at the club. Still yeah. at the club that time. popping bottles. This next question comes to us from David Lotteray, who writes – Man, you think it sucks to fight in the middle of the night in Abu Dhabi. Imagine fighting on the undercard in the middle of the night, in the middle of the week in Abu Dhabi. That has to suck even more. I feel you, Modestus Bukaskus and Andreas Michalidis. 100%. Nailed it. I'm sure.
1: 100%. He put those in there just to make you say those names.
0: I don't even know if those are real fighters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But we're going to say it.
1: It's real, real guys on the prelims.
0: As far as the main event goes, is anyone else enjoying the irony of two guys being pitted against each other who are both cutting promos, complaining that they can't make a name for themselves by beating up guys without names? Nice work, UFC matchmakers. Anyway, what are your thoughts on Dan Ige versus Calvin Cater? Uh, so this one, this one's coming up on Wednesday, right? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. We're Wednesday doing like night. a
0: midweek, midweek yep. thing. Uh, also over there at... at uh, the This one's at the Flash Forum in in Same uh, place. Abu Dhabi Same over place. there on Yaz Island. That's the thing they built is the Flash yep. Forum. That's yeah. what we're calling it. That's so what it's called. It. <laughs> it's Yaz Island, uh-huh. it's Fight Island, mm-hmm. and it's the Flash Forum.
1: Yep, correct.
0: All those things are true.
1: Everything. everything. You can call it three or four more things on top of that if you want to. Nothing means anything anymore.
0: I'll also call it UFC on ESPN Cater versus Ege and UFC on ESPN 13. How's that? Sure. Why not? Get your Wednesday night card here. Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige in the main event. Tim Elliott versus uh, Ryan Benoit. Jamie, Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Stamen. uh Molly McCann versus Talia Santos. And Abdul Razak Ah-Sah-Ah-Ah Hassan nailed it, uh, versus Monir Laze. Lazez Lazay, Laze. nailed it. Uh, who's watching this on Wednesday night? <laughs>
1: people Who's who are doing sh- this? People who are glad there's some sports on. Just throw that stuff on ESPN and people will just be like, oh shit, sports. How about that? Haven't seen that in a while. And yeah, I mean, that's what this is. This is not, there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, Calvin Cutter versus Dan Ege, like, yeah, I'll watch that. That's a good fight. Tim Elliott versus Ryan Benoit, I'll watch that too. I mean, Jimmy Rivera, he's an exciting, fun guy to watch. So sure. Uh, but the, pretty much the entire prelim card, which I believe is also on ESPN here, um, if you have anything else that you need to do and you're thinking like, oh, I don't know though. Maybe I should like put these errands off to go to make sure I'm in my seat to watch these live and sit through the commercials. No, don't do it. Get the errands done. Let the DVR take care of this one. I feel like you, you could just kind of settle in for the last two or three fights here. and You'd be okay.
0: Well, on the prelim card, this is the fight where uh, Jared Gordon is fighting Chris Fishgold. And didn't Jared Gordon's entire corner crew test positive for COVID-19? Yes. So uh, all-around good guy Paul Felder is going to jump out from the broadcast booth and uh, and help corner Jared Gordon in this fight? Yeah. See, so his
1: entire team tests positive, but not him.
0: Not him. Nope. Kind of like Jorge Masvidal, everyone else uh, – over there at ATT in, in Florida, test positive, but he's, he's fine. Skates right through, gets his welterweight title fight.
1: Well, I mean, interesting times that we're living in right now. And uh, interesting times to just, if you're a UFC comment, we're not that far off from John Annick having to jump out there and, and put some Vaseline on somebody's cut and put a Q-tip in there just because everybody got to maybe do two or three jobs before this whole thing is over.
0: Well, with the mustache though, I'm, I, I would find John Anik almost believable
1: as that's a UFC a, cut man. That's more of a referee's mustache, I think.
0: It's just I would, I, you know what? The mustache commands so much respect. I would, yeah. I would believe whatever he said he was. If he says he's a cut man, I'm not going to question him.
1: It really confers a sense of authority. It's like that thing where John C. Riley said when he was filming Talladega Nights and he had the mustache and that he pulled up to the scene of like like there was a fender bender uh, in his neighborhood. And everybody kind of got out of their cars and he realized they were all suddenly looking at him for what to do next. And he was like, oh, shit, it's the mustache. People see the mustache. They think you must be in charge.
0: Yeah, no, it works. I I like it. In any case, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us while you're there. Go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens, news always breaks. The newsletter itself is short, it's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Jorge Masvidal jumps in on six days' notice in the main event of UFC 251, gets that welterweight title shot we know he's been thinking about against Kamaru Usman. Made for a hell of a story. Everyone was very excited. And then we get to the actual fight. And just as we thought might happen, Kamaru Usman is is able to go out there and do all of his stuff uh, against a version of Jorge Masvidal who had been training but maybe wasn't getting ready for this fight. Maybe hadn't been after it with the kind of urgency that you would have when you were in an actual fight camp. And so we end up getting a rather lopsided, unanimous decision, 50-45 times two, 49-46 on one judge's scorecard, but a victory nonetheless for Kamaru Usman. I don't think it helped matters that that it comes on the heels of a very long pay-per-view card uh, where, Peter Yan ended up finishing Jose Aldo, you know, midway through the final round. Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway go to a split decision. So you get three very long fights here right at the end of this thing. Were you disappointed by this fight? What was your feeling heading out of UFC 251? Did this thing live up to your expectations or was it a little bit of a letdown? Well,
1: to finish this way, and especially for those people for whom it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, you can see how it would be probably the most predictable and least interesting possible way for this fight to have gone. Because Kamar Usman comes out there and does the Kamara Usman stuff to Jorge Masvidal. And I don't blame him. I mean, let's put that out there right there. Like, I'm not criticizing the guy's game plan. Because was it fun to watch? No. It was not super fun to watch. But if I were in his shoes, would I have done anything differently? No what are you going to do? You're going to go out there and you're going to play around with Jorge Masvidal. You're going to try to, you're going to get away from your strengths against a guy like Jorge Masvidal. That is how you get need upside your damn head, Chad. That's not what you want to do.
0: Right. I, I think you got to give Jorge Masvidal credit for uh, being the consummate showman out there. Every time he did, did get some opportunities on the feet, he was trying to crack. He was trying to do the thing that he knew everyone wanted to see from him. I guess he was also trying to do the the thing that gave him the best chance to win the fight we had talked about leading up uh whether or not Jorge Masodal wanted to take some home run swings here to try to get Kamaru Usman out of there early, just knowing everything that we knew about the lead up to this fight and what both these guys were going to try to do in there. It seemed like he did try to do that. He did try to, you know, make the most of what he could do on the feet. But of course, you get five, ten, fifteen minutes into this thing, uh you, you know, he just didn't have the explosive power left anymore. He just didn't have the the gas in the tank. And it ultimately becomes the Kamara Usman show. Let's talk first a little bit about Usman and then we can talk some more about Jorge Masvidal. Caught a lot of flack on Twitter after this, which I guess is expected. You kind of knew it was going to happen if he went out there and had his fight against fan favorite Jorge Masvidal. Uh, But he was, you know, he's getting blasted for being boring. He's getting blasted for for not being the BMF. He might be the welterweight champ, but he's not the BMF. Uh, he went out there and fought his fight, as you said, a smart fight. And yet, uh, I don't necessarily know if we do him any favors coming out of this thing. Even even with the win, did did this did this win at all in front of you know what what we assume is a lot of eyeballs? The UFC was making a lot of noise about how this was going to be a big selling pay per view. But did Kamara Usman do anything for himself uh, as welterweight champion here to make himself seem uh, like a guy people want to watch? Not really,
1: but I think maybe he just has to lean into that and accept that for what it is because. If that's going to be your go-to move when you feel like you're really threatened with somebody who you you got to play it smart and safe the whole way through, you can't afford to take a whole bunch of chances. I mean, he had a much more exciting fight against Colby Covington, but there was a guy who he clearly respected the guy's wrestling more and felt like I can't just rely on being able to do that, but I'm also not worried about anything this guy brings on the feet. And so it made for a more exciting matchup. And you know you could argue that to some extent maybe that's something we'll just see from him going forward is a kind of styles make fights approach where when he fights somebody like that then you know we'll see a different approach from him but when he fights somebody who he thinks okay this guy is dangerous on the feet but he can't hang with my wrestling ability and I can I control the clinch game and everything then you know it makes sense if all your ability to make money and uh, be on top is dependent on you winning them all you know you're not like some of the other guys like Jorge Masvidal who's getting by on more style points and things like that, then, of course, you're going to go out there and you're going to do whatever gives you the best chance to win, to stay champion, and to keep making that championship money. I mean, I am curious to see how it goes against somebody else, somebody like Gilbert Burns, who has a history with uh, Kamaru Usman in the gym. They're former training partners, so you, you know a little bit more about what the guy brings and you know more about how the matchup might actually play out because both guys have have been in there and sparred with each other. But against Jorge Masvidal, I I guess you could it's – totally fair for people to be like look this was your chance where you could have been the guy to move forward and be able to sell these pay-per-views on your own because that's kind of the knock on Kamaru Usman right is that he's the champion at 170 but he needs somebody else to be the guy who brings in the eyeballs because he's not really bringing it and this is not going to change that not a whole lot of people came out of this and went like when is Kamaru Usman fighting next I gotta be there why don't you just hold on to my credit card until then because it's a given that I want to watch. That didn't happen for him. But it's better than messing around and losing your title, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess you got to give him that. Uh, and again, like, I don't necessarily know that a ton of the criticism is is warranted. I mean, I guess if you're a Jorge Masvidal fan and you showed up wanting to see an exciting, you know, Diaz style fight, uh, like he had his last time out, you would probably be disappointed uh, but you know, Kamaru Usman just had a pretty exciting fight against Colby Covington the last time out this time, not so much, but I guess like, you know, matchup styles make fights. And if you have the, the actual fights, if you're going to have legitimate competition in this sport, like sometimes you're going to get fights that, that aren't that, that aren't that uh, exciting. Sometimes you're going to get fights that just don't live up to your expectations. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think to see if he does get Gilbert Burns next, also what he does with a guy who's dangerous on the ground. Yeah, Because, you know, Burns obviously has legit Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills. So it uh, might not be the same game plan as he would have for a guy like Jorge Masvidal. If you
1: were a fan of foot stomps, this was the fight for you. Like this was the Mid-90s one. Mid-90s Pacific
0: yeah. Northwest fighting style. Coming back, foot stomps. Going to be the new big thing.
1: Like some, straight out of Team Quest shit. Like if, you, if you're a mark for foot stomps, this was the fight you've been waiting for all year. You know. And really I kind of it. am,
0: so there you yeah. are.
1: You think Jorge Masvidal's walking around with some swollen ass feet right
0: now? I bet. I bet, he, I bet they're not feeling great. I bet they're not feeling great. To be honest with you,
1: this is when you want to have like a a good pair of really broken in flip flops for for this yeah. post fight. You don't want to be trying to squeeze those bad boys in some stiff loafers or anything.
0: You know, yeah, no, no, something comfortable. Yeah, you want to be comfortable for this. All right, let's talk a little bit about Jorge Masvidal here. I always think about this whenever we have these. You know, these superstar guys like Jorge Masvidal show up on the scene in MMA. Obviously, he's been around for a long time, but only just recently ascended to the heights of of superstar status. If you are kind of like a casual person who became aware of Jorge Masvidal because of the Nate Diaz fight, the BMF title, all that stuff, and then you followed him into this fight with Kamaru Usman only to see him get wrestled basically to death and lose via unanimous decision. I wonder how you feel. Are, do you feel – it's it, it's almost similar to me in feeling like Conor McGregor. Like if you were a person who found out about Conor McGregor leading up to the, like the Floyd Mayweather fight and you thought he was cheeky and funny and then you saw him get beat by Floyd Mayweather and then you immediately turn around and follow him back to the UFC and you see him get beat again by uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. Do you start to be like, man, did these UFC star guys win? like do i like what who are these guys that i'm that i'm trying to follow in this sport like i showed up to watch Jorge Masvidal and he just gets obliterated in a not very exciting fight uh i wonder if that is a concern at all here yeah but i don't think that
1: that demographic is likely to come away from that really blaming Jorge Masvidal too much for that i think that they'll still be far more easily sold on hey, here's what Jorge Masvidal is doing next, and they would be on, here's what Kamara Usman is doing next. So, I th- Depending on the, whatever matchup you decide to book Jorge Masvidal in, I think you can still get those people potentially excited about it, even if it's not for UFC title or anything. Uh, far more so than you could for Usman versus Burns. I mean, that's still going to be a fight for the hard and for the people who are just going to watch every single title fight that the UFC puts on regardless. Uh, I think that uh, we kind of predicted this beforehand that if Masvidal went out there and lost a Kamara Usman kind of fight that he could kind of shrug his shoulders and be like, hey, six days notice and I'm still the BMF champ because that was not a BMF performance from that guy uh, and I'm still out here. I'll put the three piece in a soda on whoever you want next and people will be like, yeah, okay, we're still into it. And I I think that's the case. I think that's the reality we're sitting here dealing with on Monday afternoon.
0: Once again, it draws like some differences for me between in the matchmaking style of the UFC and what you might get in boxing. Because obviously, uh, when everyone's under the same umbrella, you have a much more structured title picture. And we all wanted to see Jorge Masvidal fight for the welterweight title. There's no doubt about that. Like the guy has captured our attention over the last couple of years. He's on this three fight win streak. We wanted to see him come out there and fight for the title. And yet the fact that this matchup played out exactly like we might've expected it to play out, that basically it was a Kamara Usman steamroller, uh, that he, he runs all over Jorge Masvidal here en route to this five round unanimous decision. I watched it. And in the end I was like, man, do we really want to see Jorge Masvidal in these kind of fights? Like, I understand we had to do this one kind of, cause it was for the title. Obviously it was short notice replacement. Uh, but this is the UFC 251 main event they wanted in the first place. Coming out of it, I was like, what do I, what do I want from Jorge Masvidal? Do I want to see him fight for titles and like be this relevant guy in this division, even though the fights might not turn out to be all that exciting? Or do I basically just want to see him have fun scraps?
1: Well, I think now, once we've seen what happens in the title fight with Kamaru Usman, now it's a lot easier to feel good about, okay, let's relax and have some fun scraps. Because it doesn't feel like he's being held back from anything. And I also, uh, I know people... In the aftermath of this fight, we'll look at it and go, okay, but what if he had a full training camp? What if he had full like six weeks to prepare just for Karmar Usman? And I'm not saying that makes no difference because obviously, you know, six weeks is going to make a big difference in your preparation than six days. And especially cardio-wise, you mentioned down the stretch, there seemed like there were a couple of situations where there might have been opportunities, but he just didn't have the pop anymore. And that, I'm sure, is probably due to not just having that fight-shaped kind of cardio that you rely on. But I also don't think that the outcome of this fight really changes if you give Jorge Masvidal a six-week training camp. I think maybe it's a little more competitive. Maybe he has a little more chance to get in it later in the the fight. But I think you probably end up with a very similar kind of fight and a very similar outcome in the end, even if Masvidal gets a full training camp. So at this point, we saw it. We saw how it would go. I'm fine with us moving into fun fight territory for Jorge Masvidal. And I think we could have some actual, literal fun with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. What happens now for Jorge Masvidal? What role do we want for him? What does he do next uh, coming off this loss? Like clearly, as you said, like I don't think this hurts his popularity and I don't necessarily know it hurts his standing in the division, but that said, you look around, he says he doesn't want Colby Cubbington next, but, but what's, what's the proper move here for, for a, for matchmakers for the UFC and for Jorge Masvidal?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how seriously, how literally to take his comment that he doesn't want Jorge Ma- or he doesn't that he doesn't want Colby Covington next because I think it would probably be easiest to generate interest in that one. And then if you look at what your other options are, the only the way I see it, there's only two other options besides Colby Covington. One is Leon Edwards because we've got the three piece in the soda thing. If Gilbert Burns is going to fight for the title, Leon Edwards has to do something, right? He was supposed to fight Tyron Woodley. But after Woodley got beat by Burns, now that one has a lot less to gain for Leon Edwards. They had that backstage encounter. You could easily imagine that being repurposed into endless hype real stuff for the UFC. And you go ahead and you make that fight. It's still for Jorge Masvidal, you'd look at it and you'd be like, okay, here's a fight against a dude who is a tough dude, a tough guy to fight, but who nobody really knows. And so there's more downside probably than upside. And then the only other like third opportunity is another fight with Nate Diaz, which is the one Jorge Masvidal has seemed the most open to. And yet I also feel like we saw it. We saw it. We saw how that one would go. It'd probably be a fun fight to watch again, uh, you know, just stylistically the way those two guys match up. But it also feels like pretty low stakes at this point. Like we're just beating each other up just because it's something to do.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. All right, uh, let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we can move on to round number two. Ben, uh, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week?
1: Well, I mentioned a little bit when we were doing our live watch party, but on the prelims here, I know you you might not have seen this one live because you were too busy uh, getting your shark shirt on and cracking open the pallet of white claws that you keep in the shed out back. But Leonardo, Leonardo Santos beaten up Roman Bogatov here in this prelim fight, lightweight bout, uh, and looked like he's going to put him away at one point. To his credit, Bogatov hangs tough, hangs tough in this fight. Uh, Santos maybe kind of blew his load a little bit there, was kind of tired out. Bogatov coming back, it looks like maybe you're headed into a close fight in the third, and then all hell just breaks loose. Three, Chad, three fouls. From Roman Bogotov in the third round alone. That just happens to be the exact number of significant strikes that Leonardo Santos landed in the third round. He landed as many fouls, as many illegal blows as Leonardo Santos landed significant blows. And my are you fucking kidding me here is kind of two prompt. One is to Roman Bogotov, are you fucking kidding me? Do you not know the rules of mixed martial arts? He hits him in the groin twice and then. He's extremely lucky to get away without any consequences for his actions whatsoever. After Margadar pulls him aside for the second one, and strongly warns him that if he does not stop committing fouls, he may lose a point. So that's my second. Are you fucking kidding me? It took I'm that much. We we still weren't ready to take a point from the guy after two groin strikes and one round. Imagine if you like the advantage you get over somebody if you knew you could go in there and I get to hit him in the groin twice, suffer no consequences other than arrest. And a little bit of a talking to for and, and a you know Mark Goddard has a polite British accent too, so it's not even really like the talking to is that bad it's almost enjoyable to have that guy give you a stern talking to, but then right after that, right after the restart, basically he goes and knees him in the head while he's down, and then mark Goddard here's the part where it really saves it for me. he pulls uh, him aside immediately, looks at Bogotov and says, like what are you thinking what are you what are you even doing out here right now? Then says, screw it, taking two points from you. Are you fucking kidding me? Sometimes Chad Dundaso just goes wrong.
0: You fucking kidding me? I'm kidding me. I mean, I don't agree with that sentiment, but okay on the rest of there's, it. There's there's uh, such a thing
1: as too much of a good
0: thing. No, no, not when it comes to Dundasso, my friend. Ben, we talked about this in the, uh, the opening of the show in listener mail, but I just wanted to read Dana White's comments from the UFC 251 post-fight press conference uh, when he was asked about Paige Van Zandt. Of course, this being her last fight on her UFC contract, she says she wants to, uh, to test free agency after this, go out and see what she's worth. Here's what Dana White had to say. I like Paige but it's like Curtis Blades. When Blades fought last, when you talk all that stuff, I'm not being paid enough and fighting inconsistently uh, one time in the last year, injuries, and then you got smoked in the first round of the fight. She should definitely test free agency. Are you fucking kidding me? Dude, we know you did this on purpose. We, We are aware of what your game is here when someone wants to test free agency at the end of their contract. This is, you do this on purpose. You set them up with a fight where they're going to get killed. And then you show up at the press conference and you talk about how to talk about money. And then you got smoked. Come on, man. Are you fucking kidding me? We know you did this. Amanda Rebos was like a plus 700 favorite or some shit headed into this fight. You can't show up to the post fight press conference and, you know, scold Paige van's aunt. Like she talked a bunch of shit about money and then she got smoked. You fucking kidding me? Also, did he say it's like Curtis Blades? Because
1: I mean, maybe my memory is a little hazy after all that proper twelve on Fight Night. But Curtis Blades won. He
0: won the main yeah. event
1: in his fight against Alexander. But Bilbao. it wasn't
0: exciting, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't it?
1: Uh, wasn't okay, he getting so,
0: knocked? That it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world.
1: So, if you have anything to say about money, you can't then turn around and lose a fight. Yeah. And, and if you win, it has to be spectacular. Yes, you okay. are correct. All right. Just, just make a try. Are you and fucking kidding me?
0: I'm kidding me. All right. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two.
1: Yeah, so, you were there watching with me when we watched this UFC 251 featherweight title fight. And by there, I mean on a computer screen since you and I are friends who have not actually seen each other in person in months now. But right after this fight was over and it was announced as a split decision victory for Alexander Volkanovsky, I felt like, you know what, Max Holloway won that fight. I felt like the judges done did him wrong in that fight. Then, today, Monday, I went back, turned the sound off, watched the fight from start to finish, scoring rounds as I went. And I got to say, upon rewatch, with no commentary, laser focused this time, not, you know, beer in one hand and a pirate patch over my eye and trying to talk to you and a bunch of other jerks on the uh, UFC 251 live watch party, but really laser focused on the action. I got to say, I scored it for Alexander Volkanovsky.
0: Okay. All right. Tell me how you got there. How did you? Uh, okay. How did you? How did you get to that? To that score.
1: And I'll tell you. And still, even scoring for Alexander Volkanovsky, I still had to feel for Max Holloway, and I'll tell you why. Because you score the first two rounds, right? Max Holloway gets those rounds. Those are. The, it's not really in dispute. It's not like he's absolutely blowing Alexander Volkanovsky away, but he is controlling the action in both those rounds. He's really controlling the distance very well in both those rounds, and both in the first and the second. He ends both rounds in like the final ten seconds each time by rocking Alexander Volkanovsky with a strike that drops him to a knee. First round, he hits that that head kick right behind the ear, drops Volkanovsky. You know, it doesn't drop him like flat or anything, but knocks him down to a knee. Clearly, like the most significant strike of the round so far. He does it again in the the second round where he lands a right hand uppercut, drops him to a knee. And Volkanovsky, you could tell going back to the stool after the second round, you could see the frustration on his face where he knows like, okay, I'm probably down two rounds. done. He comes back in there in the third, very close round in the third, really hard to say, you know, what, what you want to do with that in the third. Uh, honestly, I thought beforehand that the third was going to be the most pivotal round like that's the one people are going to disagree on that some people are going to have that one for Holloway some for Volkanovsky and how you score that one is going to determine who you think won the fight and really when I went back and watched it it was the fourth round that I found to be the hardest to score because Volkanovsky gets a takedown uh, but he he doesn't, you know, he gets a couple takedowns in this fight, but he's never able to really do anything with it. Especially if you look at the scoring criteria and the unified rules, they kind of explicitly tell you, like, if a guy gets a takedown, but he can't advance position, doesn't land any strikes, it doesn't lead to anything, then that shouldn't really count for very much. And both the times that he gets takedowns earlier in the fight against Max Holloway, Holloway is right back up. Volkanovsky doesn't even get a chance to throw a strike, much less land one, doesn't get a chance to try to change the position. He's just solely focused on holding Holloway down and he can't do it. Holloway is right back up there and Volkanovski is landing more total strikes when you look at the stats but when you're actually watching it in real time like not paying attention to the stats just looking at who's landing clean who's landing effectively it seems so so even there and like the earlier rounds it just comes down to you get into the final 30 seconds of these rounds and you're going this seems like still anybody's round and it's kind of who makes a more emphatic point. Um, But the thing that most impressed me going back and watching it this time was you can tell Volkanovsky after the first two, he realizes he's having problems with the distance that Max Holloway has a really good plan this time for keeping him where he wants him. He's not allowing Volkanovsky to establish the same leg kicking game that he did in the first one. Like Holloway is doing a better job earlier on of establishing the leg kicks and He's catching Volkanovski in these ranges where uh, Volkanovski's trying to get in to get in closer to where he wants to be, and Holloway keeps catching him in that mid range where he'll get him kind of stopped there, and that's where he's landing that uppercut. He's landing knees to the body there, and Volkanovski's being frustrated by it, but he figures it out. He really does. Like th- rounds three, four, five, he really starts using that left hand. That he's. He's using it as a jab and as a left hook. He even starts working it to the body too. But that's the punch that makes all the difference in this fight. Like The reason Alexander Volkanovsky still has a UFC title around his waist is because of the work he does with that left hand, especially the hook. That's what he's using both as an entry and to hurt Max Holloway and hurt him in a way where Holloway can't really get him back afterwards. And It's really honestly more impressive when I go back and watch it to see Alexander Volkanovsky have trouble in the first two rounds it, you can see it on his face. He knows it. He knows that he's he's losing this fight. And he finds a way to get back in it and wins it.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Like, Hashtag I,
1: champ I, shit only.
0: I knew it was a close fight when we watched it. I, I wasn't going to cry robbery about it. I guess as we watched it live, I did think that Holloway that won. I thought that he was going to get the decision. But it was close enough that... Uh, despite the fact that it's a real tough loss for Max Holloway and I don't know exactly what happens with him now we can talk about that in a couple of minutes it's it's a, it was close enough that I wasn't really going to cry robbery either way uh do you think that this gets us back to a discussion about how these fights are scored and about the 10 point must system and 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 whether or not it is a you know kind of a blunt tool to score Fights that can be as nuanced and as diverse as MMA fights, just because, you know, the rounds that Max Holloway won were pretty clear cut rounds for Max Holloway. Yeah. And he arguably, I think, did more damage to Alexander Volkanovsky in those rounds. And the rounds that Volkanovsky won were much closer, where he would, as you said, you know, he's doing good work with the left hand and kind of pull him out in the last minute, last 30 seconds. In the system we have now, those are scored as the same thing. Yeah. Like On the scorecard, there's there's literally zero difference between a, the rounds won by Max Holloway and the rounds won by Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, but should there be? Should there be a difference if one round is really, really clear cut and lopsided and one round is very close but sort of edges in the direction of Volkanovsky? Yeah. Well, see, that's what the question I was asking myself as I scored it is – Can I talk
1: myself into either of those first two rounds being a 10-8 for Max Holloway? And I couldn't quite get there just because, you know, you drop the guy to one knee and if that's it, if that's the one thing that you're saying makes it a 10-8, I don't know. I just don't know if that's enough. And yet you're, you're right. And that, I think, is one of the things that contributed to the feeling that Max Holloway should have won is because the rounds he won, he won by much clearer margin. Alexander Volkanovsky did not win any round as clearly as Max Holloway won both rounds one and two and so that's what you come away from you go like okay if you win three rounds by just razor thin margins in each one you know even the fifth round the one that i think was probably volkanov's clearest round it's not like he's really blowing max holloway away at any point and honestly the thing that might have really helped him out is that max holloway goes for a kind of throw there like in the last 10 or 15 seconds it seems like thinking I know this round is close. Maybe I want to end up on top with a takedown of my own here and maybe that will help solidify it for me. And instead, Volkanovsky ends up on top and ends the fight landing his only ground strikes of the entire fight. Like That's the only way he gets it is when Holloway himself tries a takedown and it doesn't work and that might clinch it for him there. But even that, like all those rounds are so close whereas the two first ones for Holloway, you walk back to the corner after those and I don't think anybody had too much doubt who had won those rounds. And so it does feel a little bit wrong to have him win by clear margins, Volkanovsky win by just razor-thin, arguable margins, and every single other one, and Volkanovsky goes home with a title. But then it's like, if you give Max Holloway a 10-8 round in one of those first two, well, then you have yourself a recipe for ending up with some draws, which you want to imagine people really be pissed off, is that if we did an immediate rematch after the first fight that Volkanovsky won, and then you end up with a draw in the second fight, man, there would be a lot of groans as people start to think about, oh, shit, do we have to do this again? Like, uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know if I can quite talk myself into a 10-8 for Holloway, but you're right that it, it does seem like that's where you get into the, the biggest problem with the 10-point must system is its difficulty in distinguishing between winning by a little and winning by a lot.
0: Yeah, and man, even if even if you think – Volkanovsky rightly won this decision. Like the thing that kind of sucks about it so much is that it puts Max Holloway in such a tough spot Yeah, where like it looked like he was poised to be the young superstar of the featherweight division. You know, you think back just – Less than two years ago, the guy was 20 and three. He beats Brian Ortega at UFC 231. Seems like he's really rolling. They decide to have him go up in weight uh, for the interim lightweight title fight against Dustin Poirier at UFC 236. Uh, and he loses that one, obviously. You fast forward to today, Max Holloway is one and three in his last four fights. Of course, now he has the back to back losses to Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, and it's tough to see a guy. With that much promise, and I think a guy that, frankly, we, we all like a lot, yeah. a guy who seems like a very likable individual, it's tough to see him land in this spot where you just look around at the landscape of 145 or the landscape of 155, and it doesn't seem like he has any great immediate options. It's yeah. tough to see that happen to Max Holloway in a situation where I think a lot of people – Think he rightfully won this fight, and like you said, you can't really turn around and do a rematch with with here. You have to find something else for Holloway to do, and right now I'm not I'm not at all sure what that is.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe the thing for him to do is take a little time to wait and see if something kind of materializes a little bit on its own. Maybe the the picture gets a little clearer, and it will, maybe after a few months' time, six months down the road, maybe it's a little clearer like, who he should fight next. But especially he's 28. I think, right? You see his performance in this fight. There's not a single thing about him that looks washed up or on the decline or anything. You know, it's a really smart fight by him, capable fight. Uh, it, he, he looks strong throughout the entire fight. He made some good adjustments from the first one to this one. I don't know. You know, it, it does suck because you look at him and you go, should this guy be forced on the outside of the title picture for as long as Volkanovski holds the title, basically just because he's got these two losses, especially when the second one is that close. It just, it doesn't seem quite fair. And yet it also doesn't seem like, I don't know what else you do with him.
0: Yeah. And then what about for Volkanovski? Obviously uh triple C is still hanging around in the ether, although technically retired Volkanovski has said he, he doesn't know if he's even interested in that matchup. He would like to uh, take on the top contenders at 145 pounds, uh Magomed Shiropov right now technically the top contender behind Max Holloway of course Brian Ortega has been out for some time Chan Sung Jung Yair Rodriguez and then uh Calvin Cater so uh i, I don't know what the best next matchup is for Alexander Volkanovsky. and i really don't know at this point like what kind of champion it seems like we can project him to be at this point like for him to to uh come out and beat Max Holloway in their first fight uh, at UFC 245, I think was a big moment for him. Now he gets the uh, you know another win UFC 251 over Max Holloway, but maybe in 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 somewhat dubious fashion. I like I don't even know how we are thinking about Alexander Volkanovsky moving forward or what the next best fight for him is. Yeah, you know what I I'm gonna need Triple C
1: to either be serious about like coming back here and maybe fighting somebody or. If he wants to keep doing the just talking shit on Twitter thing, okay. But find some way. Maybe if there's some kind of like hashtag that he can include to let us know that he's just talking. That he's just saying stuff. That none of this is meant to be taken as like a real actual desire to get back in the game, get back in there and, and have some fights. That he just wants to run his mouth off every once in a while on Twitter and see. You know, just for some, just for shits and gigs, Chad. Find some way to let us know. Because otherwise like – and. We need to move on with our lives, like in, in two different divisions, really. So let, let us handle some business here. If you just want to have some fun and, and get some attention, fine. But if you're not serious, come on. Stop, stop messing around with us.
0: So you're telling me you wish that there was some manner of recognized slogan yes. for when you are just saying stuff. Right.
1: Or like like, remember people used to talk about a sarcasm font? I need like a just sand font or something for Henry Cejudo, something that he can apply to these tweets. So we can then maybe we can all enjoy it with you, Henry Cejudo. Yeah.
0: If only there was a recurring hashtag that you could use when you were hashtag just sand stuff. Just sand stuff. Anyway, that's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back. Round number three. Then it didn't always seem like things were going to be this ugly for Jose Aldo in the bantamweight title fight against Peter Yawn at UFC 251. Things started off okay. Jose Aldo was out there doing his stuff. Peter Yawn was out there doing his stuff. Jose Aldo even had some nice moments in this fight. But by the time we get midway through the fifth round, Jose Aldo is on the ground, just getting pummeled by, uh, by Peter Yawn. I think a lot of people were sitting there watching their screens, wondering if uh if maybe Jose Aldo owed the referee some money here or if there was some kind of personal beef, because it sure felt like it took a while for uh who was this, Leon Roberts? Leon Roberts to to step in and stop this thing. Of course, declaring Peter Jan now undisputed bantamweight champion, TKO midway through the fifth round. But uh for for a veteran who comes into this thing on the heels of a loss as like Jose Aldo. And a guy who we we frankly weren't sure what to expect from in this fight, this was a tough way to end it.
1: Yeah. You know how I know it was Leon Roberts as the ref in that fight? Uh, Because as we were sitting there watching it, I recall saying, where are you, Leon? Leon, where are you at?
0: Leon. You can go ahead and step in anytime you're you're ready here. You seeing this, Leon?
1: Hey, Leon, could you come here for a minute? Like, yeah, that went on way longer than it needed to, especially because – Jose Aldo I can see at first where Jose Aldo he, you know he's moving when you tell him you need to see him move he's showing a little bit of defense but once he's face down on the mat and just blood pouring onto the canvas especially and he's still just getting thumped on he has nowhere to go he he can't really move from there and he's not showing any signs of activity there's no reason for us to keep watching that and honestly you mentioned Jose Aldo was competitive in this fight early on like he he had some moments where he really made Peter Jan work for it and I I think showed that it, it was by no means absurd for him to be in this fight, even if he's 0-1 as, as a bantamweight coming into this. He got hurt. got hurt with a, a punch to the body early on. We thought, I think Dr. Chad Dundas diagnosed him with a broken rib right away. Yeah, I,
0: I said it was over. I was like, oh, it's over. I Joe rogan did. it. I jumped to a conclusion there that, uh, that proved to be premature, although yeah. as things played out, it actually was kind of over.
1: Well, just I think that was... Took- Another 15 minutes. That was like the end of the first, right? He came back in the second and third and he looked competent and everything. But then by the fourth round, you could see all the damage starting to take a toll. He was wearing down a little bit. And I don't know how much of that was just the damage in this fight and how much of that is the years on the, the miles on the odometer for Jose Aldo. He's put in a lot of hard years in this sport. And Peter Jan, the younger, fresher guy. And then when he came out for the fifth round and just got put down almost immediately, and you go, okay, it seemed like that was more than just one shot. That was the accumulation that he had dealt with in that fight. And so that made me think, I guess, even sooner, that this fight should be stopped. Because when he he went down there and never really was able to mount any kind of defense from there, and just it was a slow, steady thumping from Peter Jan before we finally got this stopped and it's just especially well, we've seen Jose Aldo live a couple different lives in this sport and you know as a revered former champion and then to watch him just get absolutely beat on uh, unnecessarily it, that's that's an ugly way to finish it there
0: yeah. And once again, it was one of these fights that leaves me feeling like I'm not totally sure what to think about Jose Aldo. Because as you mentioned, the guy's really only 33 years old. He has a lot of miles on the tires in MMA. He's been around forever. And yet you see him out there uh, now on the heels of his third straight loss. And he doesn't look out of place. It doesn't look for the most part like he shouldn't be out there against Peter Yawn. It didn't look like he was outclassed by Marlon Marais. Like obviously that was a a very close fight that they had back at UFC 245. And then previous to that, his his unanimous decision loss to Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 237, which Volkanovsky has turned out to be pretty good as we've seen. But all told, Aldo has lost five of his last seven fights at this point uh, against really, really tough competition, admittedly. And as a guy who I think you can understand if you were him, you would think hey man i still got it i'm i'm still i'm only 33 i've still yeah. got life in this sport but like it was tough to watch him go out that way and i you know as i think back on it now i'm just not sure once again he's another one of these guys where i just like really have no idea how to even think about where jose aldo is at in his career right now
1: yeah but then again it feels like we were ready to declare jose aldo dead and buried Earlier before this, and but then, like you said, you see the way he fought in this fight early on, and you go, "That's a guy who still probably beats a whole bunch of bantamweights in the UFC right now." Well, maybe not right now, but six months from now, when he has a chance to heal up and get back in there, who knows? Right.
0: Right. uh And then on the flip side, Peter Yawn, your new 135 uh, pound champion, he's won 10 in a row. He's undefeated in the UFC. He gets this win over Jose Aldo, coming off the head kick KO of Uriah Faber at UFC 245. Just a a, a chronic pain inflictor is Peter Yan to yeah. me. He's not he's not going to go out there probably and blow you away in one round. He's just going to uh, consistently do damage to you over the course of a of a few rounds, and eventually, you know, either win a very lopsided and painful decision, or he will end up stopping you uh, out of out of a matter of attrition more than anything else. Uh, and he's clearly like a a fun fighter to watch. He's clearly, uh, got some personality to him. Um, but I wonder if he is, is, is going to be a difficult men's bantamweight champion for the UFC to promote outside of Russia. He just like, you know, I think hardcores know who he is and know that he is, know what he's all about, but I just, I don't know what his ceiling is in terms of popularity, uh, or in terms of like his ceiling as being a champion. Well,
1: let's not forget that Algemeen Sterling has publicly said he's coming on that ass.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Pause as he added afterwards. But that's a fight where that's especially where I need Henry Sehudo to get out of the way and stop making some noise because Yan versus Algemeen Sterling is the fight to make next. And yeah, I mean, that's not going to be the one that fills up Buffalo Wild Wings during a pandemic. But that is the fight. I think that the hardcores who are actually paying attention to what's going on in men's bantamweight right now, that's the fight to make next. Let's see what you come out of that one with because I think like that's that's a tough one to call in a lot of ways. And that is the – the if the UFC messes around and books, anything other than that, I'm going to have words. I'm going to have words to say about it on this here podcast, Chad Dundas.
0: Well, that makes me feel good about the future of our show. At least there will be words to be said,
1: one way or another. I'll probably find some words to say, but I will find some emphatic words to say if they do not book that oh, wow. fight. Wow, emphatic
0: next. words! Even emphatic. Well, now words. I halfway
1: hope they do it. The emphaticest that you ever heard. If
0: if you're the UFC, though, is that a is that a an appetizing title fight to make?
1: What else are you going to do? What else? What else can you Start do? Sorry, one thirty-five. Given
0: triple C that
1: money. Yeah. No, well, Offer okay. the money, Offer him the money. But then, I don't know, I guess it's like, do you really think that it's a matter of offering Triple C money, and he comes back, and he's like, okay, I'm back, and I'm back in this life, I'm back in this career, or is he just looking for one fight that he can come back and make money off of? Because it doesn't help you if he's yeah. just going to come back and do
0: one fight. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that that's an interesting fight. Like, with with Peter Jan ensconced as your champion there, though, like, you just look around that division, and and, you know... Uh, Marlon Moraes, Cody Garbs being back. Uh, there are some interesting potential fights down the road, I think, for for Peter Jan, uh, if he can get by all Jermaine Sterling, which might be the biggest trick of all to, yeah. to jumpstart that title reign. Uh,
1: I want to read this question, though, we didn't get to from listener mail because it is about Peter Jan and I think it deserves to be said from Mr. Breedable. What was your favorite non-MMA moment of UFC 251? Mine was when Peter Jan kept doing his own hype whistling, about as wholesome as it gets. I mean, he may as well have been yelling, "Yay, Peter! Great stuff!" I agree. After like agree celebrating, too. he's doing the whistling thing. You can see like where he does, like, he like kind of like bite down a lip and do this kind of like celebratory whistling. And it took me a moment to realize, like, wait, is that that whistling? That whistling's coming from him. Like he's the one doing yeah. his own whistling for that.
0: All he's right, whistling for himself.
1: Yay, Peter!
0: I agree. It was, it was, it was, uh, something to behold. Yeah. For Peter Jan. All right, let's do just saying stuff. And then, uh, we'll get out of here for this week, Ben this week. I'm just saying, man, I guess, uh, fight Island is what we thought it was. And that is not really a thing. Just like <laughs> the UFC showed up. They had a nice little promo package about fight Island. But once you get into the actual event, it just seemed like a UFC event that could have been in Dayton, could have been in Tampa, could have been in uh Orange County, could have been a UFC event out there in uh in Hong Kong. Just I guess it's the it's both the strength and the weakness of the UFC event that you always know what you're gonna get, and it's always gonna be the same thing. But when you make a big deal about how you're gonna have Fight Island and you get everybody's hopes up about it, and then it just shows up and you're just doing your events in a dark Quonset hut on Yaz Island. It is what we thought it was. I'm just saying. Just saying. Octagon on the beach, though, Chad. Yeah, I guarantee no one ever got in that octagon. No,
1: they did. Like what? 100. 100- they got in there just long enough to take the picture for Instagram, and then they got the hell out of okay. there
0: because it's scorching. yeah, because it's like 108 degrees out on the canvas out there. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, this week, my just saying stuff. Uh, I don't know if you caught this at the post fight press conference. Joe Rogan had made a comment that he thinks that the UFC ought to do away with the show win bonus structure just because you you don't need to incentivize people at that level to win. They always want to win. They're always trying their hardest and to get screwed by the judges or any of the other number of things that can screw you out of your win money and go home with half your pay really sucks, especially when they're not making that much to begin with. Dana White was asked at the post-fight press conference if he's ever thought about just doing away with the win money part of the, the contract structure. He replied, Chad, had never thought about it until this guy brought it up oh. right now. Never really? Even considered never it. thought about it before? Never thought about it's the
0: only it. Way to, it's the only way to do contracts.
1: Yep. Only way it can be done. I guess I'm just saying, in a weird way, I almost believe him. And then I almost believe he has never truly considered it until somebody with the negotiating clout comes along and makes him consider it. And then, of course, we do see them on guaranteed payout purses that don't have a win bonus. I'm just saying
0: just saying anyway that is gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast uh remember on Wednesday we've got the uh the live chat over on patreon as well as a new episode of the movie club although we do have a programming note coming up for uh Friday's power hour you're gonna be out of town that's right going camping so uh we won't won't be a there won't be a power hour this week uh but we will be back one week from today of course to fire up all the stuff we normally do another full week of the co-main event podcast proper as well as as patreon content so check us out with that if you're not a member of the patreon yet head over to uh, patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up over there to support us keep the discourse unfettered and take advantage of all the fun stuff we've got going on as for right now though we are done we are through we are out
1: you're not even gonna mention my uh my jorge mouse old street jesus shirt huh
0: uh, i was trying to figure out what it was earlier Uh, It's a Chris Rainey special. Yeah. It's a celebratory, some celebratory attire. Happier times. Happier times. That's right.